Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, September 15th, 2014. All right, there is a, a rash of Hebrew-ish heresies. They're not even real. It's not, oh, man. Tis the season, apparently. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which... Help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to slow down, stop, open up our Bibles, and compare what people are saying to what God's Word says in context. Now, one of the things I am noting here with this season's uh, heresy hurricane season i guess that's a, i'm being redundant there this this year's heresy hurricane season that's probably a better way to put it put it is that there is a growing rash of hebrew-ish and that's the only way to put it hebrew-ish heresies false teachings uh being put out there and what i'm noting is is that as the church at large becomes less and less and less biblically literate they open themselves up to more and more sophisticated attacks that are based upon, get this, the uh, a wrong understanding of the uh, two covenants. Well, the covenants as a whole period, but uh, the Mosaic Covenant versus the New Covenant. And uh, so we're going to have to do a little bit of unpacking here uh, today. We're The first hour, we're going to focus on Hebrew-ish sounding heresies, and uh, we're going to be all over the place. And uh, all I can say is you got to fasten your seatbelt. But before we get into that, I think it behooves us to spend a little bit of time in the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians is a vital book for uh, understanding the proper distinction between the Old Covenant and the uh, the New Covenant. And so uh, if somebody's trying to tell you that, uh, that you, oh, we've got to keep the feast days, you know, we, we we gotta we if you're not keeping you're, those are those were meant to be kept forever. No, actually they weren't. They were only meant to be kept as long as the Mosaic covenant was in effect. Now, if you're confused about what that means, you know, for instance, uh, the Hebrew word olam supposedly means forever, but uh, no, it doesn't only it doesn't only mean forever. When talking about things earthly, it means uh, as long as something endures. And uh, when talking about eternity, it does mean forever. And I spelled this out in my uh, debate that I had earlier this year with Jim Staley regarding are Christians required to keep the Sabbath? 
And uh, if you haven't heard that debate already in my opening argument and my debrief, I think that is going to be a good resource for you if you want to go a little bit deeper, uh, you know, in properly distinguishing the uh, the old covenant versus the new covenant. But what's happening is, is you have literally these Judaizing, but it's not even real Judaizing. It's Judaizing-ish heresies that are that are cropping up, and uh, it's really a mess. And the, the pe- people are falling for it. Why? Well, they don't know their Bible, and they're not being taught their Bible in. Churches of all places, yeah. It's as if pastors have something more important to do than you know, you know, open up the Bible and you know actually teach it. You know, the full counsel of the Word of God. You, you familiar with these ideas? Anyway, so let's take a look at the Book of Galatians. I'll spend a little bit of time in it. And uh, Galatians chapter one. I'll be reading from the ESV. If you have a, a Bible, follow along. Here's what it says. Paul writes this uh, book to the church, churches in Galatia. It says Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Notice Paul starts off with his credentials. Yeah, that's a bad sign. That's This kind of lets you know that he, he's kind of throwing down here and uh, he's pulling the apostle card, like first verse, right? And he needs to do that because the Judaizers were basically claiming that Paul didn't know what he's talking about, you know, and... You know, he didn't teach you all of Christianity. That that was the idea. So Paul says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And he says this, Now I am astonished, <laughs> aghast, that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. In fact, that's right. There are, there are no other Gospels. There's only the Gospel. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the Gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a Gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And as we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a Gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Now, accursed here is the a Greek word anathema. It means damned. Okay, we're talking about an eternal curse here. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Very important point that he's making here. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. But uh, for you have heard of my former uh, way of life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he, who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Now, Paul makes the point that uh, he did not receive his gospel from men. He received it via direct revelation from Christ. And you're going, well, what is the gospel that he preached? I'm glad that you asked the question. You can find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul writing to the church in Corinth says this, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, by which you are being saved. 
And um, if you hold fast uh, to the word that I preached to you, unless, of course, you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Uh Uh-huh. And that he appeared to Cephas and to the Twelve. So what is the gospel? The gospel in a nutshell. And this is kind of, you think of it as a compressed file, if you would. You can unpack this thing and uh, preach on it quite extensively. But the gospel in its most compressed format is simply this. The proclamation that Christ died for our sins and was raised again on the third day. This was witnessed by people and that uh, resurrection was for our justification. Straight up, plain and simple. That's the gospel that he preached. So he says he got that via direct revelation from Jesus Christ. I am not about to challenge the Apostle Paul on that because, yeah, he's an eyewitness to the resurrection. He's an apostle abnormally born. So we continue, verse 18. So then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him for 15 days. And I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And uh, what I'm writing you before God, I do not lie So then when I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ, and they were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. So then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem. Now you notice all this little background data, he's giving his credentials as to an apostle. Why? Because that was being undermined by those who were teaching these Judaizing heresies, okay? In fact, the Ebionite heresy, which uh, grew, you know, which came later, I think second and third century, um, you know, the Ebionites were a form of the Judaizers. And you know what they called the apostle Paul? They called him, Paul, the man of lawlessness, Kind of gives you an idea here. So you got to get rid of this Paul guy because he's talking about the new covenant. He's talking about that we're not we're not obligated to keep the Torah, at least, you know, the ceremonial things. Right. So he then says, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential. I laid the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles out in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, uh, was not forced to be circumcised. Why? Because Christians aren't required to be circumcised. That's Mosaic Covenant stuff. Though he was a Greek, yet because of false brothers secretly secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment. Yeah, those people who are trying to put us under the uh, old covenants, uh, you know, the feast days and things like this. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the equivalent of trying to put us back under circumcision. Same Same rules apply. So he says, um, so we did not yield to them at all. Not even Titus was uh, forced to become circumcised. And from those who seemed to be influential, and what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential, they added nothing to me or to my message. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, uh, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing that I was eager to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, this would be Peter, he came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. Uh-huh. 
bacon breath, if you would. But when they came, he drew back and separated, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. They were acting contrary to the gospel. But when I saw that their conduct conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, though you are a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified, that is, declared righteous by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified, that means to be declared righteous, by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one, not one person, will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ in a servant of sin? Well, certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Notice he's concerned about nullifying the grace of God, not about nullifying the law. Huh? So he says, now it gets, he gets personal. He says, oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And the answer is by hearing with faith. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So know then it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and continue to do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even when a man-made covenant, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. You can say the word contract here. No one nullifies or uh, you know amends a, a human contract once the ink is dry. That's you know you can put it in these terms. Now the promises that were made to Abraham, they were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterwards, that's 430 years after the covenant that God made with Abraham, uh-huh, yeah, it, it, um, it does not annul the covenant previously ratified by God, the one made with Abraham, so as to make the promise void. 
For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by the promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So why then was the law given? It was added because of transgression until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. So is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Well, certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scriptures imprisoned everybody under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Notice what it says here regarding the Mosaic Covenant, the Mosaic Law, uh, that we were held captive, imprisoned under it, uh, and it was our guardian until when? Until Christ was revealed. Uh huh. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. So there is therefore neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but you're a son. And if you are a son, then you're an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those things that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless principles of the world? whose slaves you want to be once more. You observe days and months and seasons and years. Uh-huh. He's talking about the Mosaic seasons and feast days and things like that. This is what the Judaizers were fo forcing these uh, people who were Christians to be doing. They had to be circumcised, and they had to follow the feast days. So Paul here is chastising them. He's saying, you observe days and months and seasons and years, and I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I have become as, as you are. You did me no wrong. You know, it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged your eyes out and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose, they, the Judaizers. They want to shut you out, that, and that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, but not only when I am present with you, my little children, whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. So tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. 
But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born according to the promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now, you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free then. Stand firm and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Mosaic Covenant. Look. I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Uh huh. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. That would be the Mosaic Covenant. And you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts. For anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. And a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Yeah, you get the idea here. You don't go back to the types and shadows. The Old Testament is reveals the New Testament in types and shadows, and Christ is the fulfillment of the Old. And you don't go, we as Christians do not observe the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, the Feast of Booths, the Passover, and all that kind of stuff. We are not obligated to do such things. In fact, if you say that Christians are obligated to do these things, you're twisting God's word. And just like the Judaizers, you're putting people back under the Mosaic Covenant, in, in which case they're required to keep the whole thing. But the ones who claim that they're keeping these feast days, they are not. And they're just engaging in nonsense. Now, I've run a little long in the opening segment here. It makes me think that what I need to do is kind of dedicate the rest of the program to you know these kind of Hebrew-ish sounding you know, heresies that are coming out here. We'll kind of ramp these up. But what we'll do first is we'll go ahead and take our first break. And if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. We're going to kind of deal with kind of the scad of these Hebrew-ish sounding heresies. Also included in the mix will be the four blood moons. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. 
We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> it's Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. Circus Church would like to again apologize. Normally, we try to do parody here at Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. Unfortunately, the church continues to just parody itself. Case in point, Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed shofar CD. This is a real commercial. When Rabbi Michael Zeitler blows the shofar, miracles take place. He wants to see God break every stronghold of the enemy in your life, healing you emotionally, physically, even in your relationships, bringing salvation to your entire household. Call now and receive both Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed audio CD, Sound of the Shofar, plus his brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural, for a donation of $25. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9081. Listen to this anointed audio CD. Allow God's glory to fill the room as Rabbi Zeitler shares from the scriptures and then blows the shofar over every issue you are facing, including mental and emotional disorders, confusion, fear, stress, grief, nightmares, insomnia, pain, sickness and disease, addictions, eating disorders, weight loss, injustices, persecution, finances, marriages, rebellious children, freedom from the occult and demonic oppression, and so much more. Through Rabbi Zeitler's brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural, you will learn how you and your family can obtain supernatural protection in the midst of the end time judgments about to be unleashed on planet Earth. Don't miss out on getting both Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed audio CD Sound of the Shofar, plus his brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural for a donation of $25. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9081. Call or write today. Don't pay more for travel than you need to. Hi, Chris Roseborough here to tell you about Pirate Christian Radio's featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Cheapo Air is a leading provider of airline tickets, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Cheapo Air has extensive partnerships with the top travel brands in the world. Now, whether you need to travel for business or for pleasure, Cheapo Air can help you save money. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, we have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, then click on the banner and book your low-cost travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air goes to support Pirate Christian Radio. Warning, beware of false teachers trying to basically put us back under the Mosaic Covenant and say that we Christians need to observe the Passover, the Yom Kippur, you know, all those other things. 
Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. That's a great way to support us. And, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send that to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And uh, let me thank you for your support, because we cannot do what we are doing here without it. Okay, now, to kind of set this up, okay, we're going to ramp these up in order here. Uh, you know, we'll start off easy, it'll get a little bit more complicated, and we'll remind you of the Four Blood Moons thing, and then we're going to get into uh, a full-blown, you know, false teaching regarding um, the Day of Atonement. And uh, this is becoming more and more common, uh, where you have churches that uh, basically, you know, they're buying into these Hebrew root-ish things, but in reality, you know, it's... The best way I can put it is is that this is like uh, Christianity is experiencing its childhood diseases all over again. It would be all like all of a sudden, like you know, among adults, there was a big outbreak of chickenpox. It, it doesn't make any sense. Well, the reason why this is happening is because uh, Christian churches aren't teaching the uh, the Bible with any depth, and so they're leaving people vulnerable. This is the equivalent of not inoculating your children, leaving them vulnerable to these uh, deadly heretical diseases. And we're going to start off with Patricia King, and well, let me explain it by uh, getting right into our update music here. Um, do you know that the uh, the Jewish calendar? We're coming up on the uh, first of the year. Yeah, the Jewish New Year is upon us, and uh, well, you know what that means, right? It means it's time for God, the Holy Spirit, to start revealing things prophetically to people like. Patricia King, which, you know, in reality, this is not from God the Holy Spirit. Uh, what I don't know what she's tapping into, but I don't know if this is her brain or if she's uh, being influenced by a demon or both. But you kind of get what I'm saying here. Here's Patricia King to give us five prophetic words for the upcoming Jewish New Year. No joke. Here we go. At the time I'm filming this particular clip, it is September year 2014, and we're just launching into the Hebrew calendar year of 5775. I love that number. And uh, I'm bringing you five prophetic words for 5775. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Keyed into the Hebrew calendar, right? So I've chosen five of the words that God has given me as far as... Prof- that God gave you, right. ...prophetic insights that I believe will be a great encouragement to you. The The year itself is a great encouragement, isn't it? The number five stands for favor and honor, of course, and, and uh, stands for uh, grace upon your life. So expect grace, favor, and honor. And the number seven stands for... Uh, the re- Have you been to the uh, William Tapley School of uh, Prophetic Numerology? Is that where you're learning this from? Rest of God, the fulfillment and completion. So it's going to be quite the year. So let me give you these five prophetic insights. First of all, um, in this coming year, you're going to see media revivals. Media is media revivals uh-huh. going to capture 
outpourings of the Spirit, and there's going to be media releasing into people's homes, into their workplaces, into anywhere. where. What does it mean for media to release into people's homes? What does that mean? They have a computer. There's going to be moves of God move through media. There's going to be a, 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 a spreading of the media through social media as well. It'll go viral all over the nations. But the power and the presence of God is going to uh, bring forth a great outpouring of the Spirit. Um, many. Mm-hmm. You're right. Uh, and you're getting this all because we're coming up on the uh, Jewish New Year. Churches, local churches, are going to move more into media um, aspects. They're going to have media satellite churches. Even church leaders that used to be against media because they'd say it's taking away from the local church are going to have a turnaround in their thinking, knowing that they can reach more people worldwide if they produce media satellite churches and what i see in my spirit is homes all around the world with people having groups coming around and hosting churches and there's thousands so a church of even let's say a hundred people might end up having a congregation of thousands worldwide because of media but not only that outpourings of the spirit healing signs wonders miracles are going to take place through media Media, media, media. This is the... Media, media, media. And this is a direct revelation you got from God, huh? Season for media. Get ready for media revivals. Get ready for the good news to be broadcast through media like never before. There's going to be new media release. There's going to be new ideas on how to get the word out through media. Things that have not even been heard of yet are going to come forth in the next three years. It's going to be an exciting season that we are in. And many people are going to get on board. It's going to be easier than ever. It's going to be faster than ever. You're going to reach more people, uh, more than you've ever been able to reach them before with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Secondly, in this coming year, you are going to see global harvest. In fact, it is a global go-ye season. People who have never traveled before are going to go. People who have never preached the gospel in another nation are going to find themselves thrust into the nations. I see a mobilization of the body of Christ unto harvest like I've never seen before. People that never even dreamt that they would be on a platform will be standing on a platform working miracle signs and wonders. The nations are going to be harvested. I see sovereign moves of the spirit i see jesus walking through villages i see jesus standing on the midst of platforms where thousands of people are and he himself is being seen by the people uh-huh so we're gonna have jesus making appearances okay you kind of get the idea of what's going on here what's the occasion for these prophecies well the the jewish new year of course uh like yeah so um yeah, we've got a problem there. And, you know, it. listen, for people to somehow say, oh, listen, the, the rhythms of God are tied to the Jewish calendar and stuff like that, and we need to be observing all of that. Yeah, nowhere in Scripture are we commanded to do such a thing. Um, and, see, the thing is, is that the Jewish people were commanded to keep these feast days and stuff and to observe these things. But we as Christians were not under the Mosaic Covenant. So, you know, for you to take what was, you know, basically uh, given to the Jews and say that that you know, that has to be for us now as Christians, well, the, you don't understand your Bible and you don't understand the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Now, another Hebrew-ish sounding 
Uh, heresy, funny enough, is the uh, the four blood moons. And there's a lot of weird teaching going on now regarding the so-called Shemitah. And uh, I'll talk about that in a, a little bit here. But uh, since we have to do a four blood moons update, that requires us to do this. <laughs> Don't stone me. That's our Four Blood Moons update music. Tapley and his uh, Mad Casio skills and his song entitled It's Prophesied. That is our Four Blood Moons update music. And uh, we're coming up on another four, uh, another one of the blood moons for the year 2014, which means it's time for people to ramp up yet again to uh, start warning us about the four blood moons and the the uh, eschatological foreboding that is uh, that they somehow bring but the reality is this is that the bible doesn't teach anything about four blood moons uh and the reason for that is very simple because the sign of the blood moon the mer- moon turning to blood that basically is the one of the signs of Christ's imminent return that is something that is not considered a natural occurrence and uh, if you pay attention it it is concurrent with a darkening of the sun the reason why the the blue the moon turns to blood uh, according to scripture is due to the fact that the sun is darkened in the days immediately preceding the return of Christ that's the that's the the idea here and so you know for us to get all worked up you know, thinking that these, the, oh, four blood moons and they all fall on Jewish feast days. This is such a rare thing. I've actually spent quite a bit of time um, debunking this earlier this year. And I'm going to put the, uh, the, the YouTube playlist with this episode of Fighting for the Faith. If you haven't listened to our debunk of the four blood moons, then you can get to them by going to fightingforthefaith.com and looking up today's episode, uh, September 15th, 2014. And they'll be available with this episode on the Internet on our website. But uh, Mark Biltz is one of the guys who's really kind of behind everybody else's teaching on this, including John Hagee. And Biltz recently appeared on Sid Roth's program, It's Supernatural. And listen to the buildup on this thing. Hello, Sid Roth here. Welcome. Well, thank you. Welcome to my world, where it's naturally supernatural. Everyone is talking these days about blood moons. Why? We know from Joel that before the awesome, great day of the Lord, the day of judgment, there's going to be a moon that will be all blood. But what most people don't know 
is that every time, historically, when there is what is known as a tetrod, a tetrod is four blood moons in a row. The Bible doesn't teach about blood moon tetrads. Every time there's been a tetrod. No, actually, no, not every time there's been a tetrod. Um, if you if you actually look this up on the Internet, there's people who've demonstrated this quite clearly, that there have been tetrads in the past, and nothing has actually happened. In fact, the Biltz, who puts this timeline together regarding, you know, supposed events that, you know, are linked to the tetrads, well, the funny thing is, is that some of the events actually occurred prior to the tetrads. You know, he plays fast and loose with his historical uh, astronomical data, but listen carefully, and you're going to find out who is the one who's supposedly behind these this four blood moons uh, teachings on biblical feasts, not on the feasts that most Christians celebrate, but I mean on the biblical feast, something significant has happened to change the whole world. There is a tetrod that will occur this year and next year on a biblical feast. And there won't be another one for another 400 years. What's so what significant thing is going to happen between this year and next year? I believe I have the guest that will be able to tell us that. Yeah, I, I think I know what the significant thing is. They're going to actually come up with, no, no I, I'm, I'm thinking it'll be a technological breakthrough. You know how they have one-hour dry cleaners? I think, I'm, I'm convinced that this, the four-moon four tetrad, well, there's going to be a huge technological leap forward, and they're going to now have 10-minute dry cleaners. I, I'm saying it's going to change the world. So, I'm watching television. I'm watching the major news shows. And all of a sudden, internationally known evangelists are in the secular news shows talking about the blood moons. So, I do a little research and I find out that everyone that I'm aware of found out their basic information from Mark Biltz. Tell me a bit about your background. So here's the guy who's ground zero for the four blood moons false teaching. That you know these things. Well, sure, I'd love to, Sid. Uh, to me, this is so exciting. I feel like just a, a little kid. And when I was a little kid, I loved astronomy. And I'd be laying down out on the grass, and I'd be looking up at the heavens, and like Psalms 19, where it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And I would just be looking up, and i just love it. And I had a telescope, and I'd always be trying to find the moons around Jupiter and the ring around Saturn. And then as I got older and I became a believer and filled with the Holy Spirit and I just love God. And all of a sudden I found out about the feasts of the Lord and I realized they weren't the Jewish feasts, but they were the Lord's feasts. And I'm oh, so we're required to keep the Old Testament feasts, are we? 
going to NASA's website because I love math, I love science. And I had seen this beautiful total lunar eclipse over the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And I got to thinking about the Bible verses, you know, with the, the moon turning to blood and the sun to sackcloth. And so what did I do? I- and, and the sun to sackcloth. And the reason why, you can't remember, this is just astronomy 101. The reason why the moon looks the way it does is because it doesn't have any light of its own. It reflects light. So if the moon turns to blood, it would be because the sun turned black like sackcloth. Uh-huh. Yeah, see, the Revelation 6.12 makes it clear that when the sign that we're looking for, you know, in the end times, it begins with the sun, not the moon, because the moon only reflects sunlight. Got it? I said, we'll see if there's any interesting eclipses coming up. And so I looked and I saw there, there were these four total lunar eclipses in a row. And I thought, well, how often does that happen? And so I was going to NASA's website and I saw it didn't happen at all in the 1800s, didn't happen in the 1700s, didn't happen in the 1600s. So it's pretty rare. It's very, as a matter of fact, after my research, I found it has only happened eight times in the last 2,000 years that these have fallen on the biblical feast days. But that's what was so amazing. I'm in my prayer closet. It's about four in the morning. I was getting up, uh, you know, early uh, for a long time. And I'm praying, and all of a sudden, it's like this voice comes and says, Mark, put these on the biblical holidays. Because when I was on NASA's website, it had like April and October. So a direct revelation from, you know, while he was in his prayer closet, told him to put the feast days on, you know, onto this these uh, you know, lunar you know, <laughs> eclipse calendars. <gasps> So this is a direct revelation from God. This is a direct insight coming gr- directly from God. April and September, and it was like a download. And so I get all excited, and I run out to my computer, and I get on the uh, computer, and I see they fell on Passover and Tabernacles, Passover and Tabernacles. So now I'm ready to jump out of my skin. I can't <laughs> sure. believe this. Oh, my gosh. You know. And so I go back, and I look, uh, and then I see when else they've happened in history, and it just blew me away. Well, the thing that is so amazing to me, tell me about the last uh, set of tetrods, that's four of these blood moons in a row. Uh, One was, just happened to be in 1948. Another one just happened to be in 1967. Uh, what significant things happened in 1948 <laughs> and 19? 19- I think all of you know. I, do, do many of you know yeah. what, what happened in 48 and 67? But just in case. Well, sure. Well, the thing that amazed me concerning the math is, you know, according to NASA, over 5,000 years, you only average one total lunar eclipse every year and a half. And here we have four within a year and a half, and they're falling on the feast days. Hmm. And the last time it happened was when Israel recaptured Jerusalem in 1960. 1968. And when I saw that, it was like, oh, good grief, this is, this is supernatural. And so I go running back and I look at the next date, and it was right after Israel became a nation in 1948. It happened in 1949 and 50. And so now my mind's relating, so I have to go back and I got to do some more research. And I'm going back and I find out it happened during the Inquisition, 1492. When Columbus sails the ocean blue. Now, why was that? Now, that was pretty bad. Yeah, and I get into this in the uh, full-length debunking of this uh, four blood moons thing. And uh, 
where I talk about the Spanish Inquisition and point out the fact that the significant event occurred before the four blood moons, not after them. Um, so, yeah, Biltz is this guy who's all very excited because, oh, he's cracked a code here and it's locked to these tetrads. Oh, he's discovered a hidden teaching us in the stars and whatever. This is astrology. Not a, this is not theology. And this is <laughs> this is a man-made uh, astrological schema, and it relies on the uh, the uh, the logical fallacy known as post hoc ergo propter hoc. After this, therefore, because of this, yeah, this is this is a completely a false teaching. The Bible doesn't teach us if the God if God wanted us to actually believe in four blood moons and to be paying attention to it, He would have actually spelled it out for us unequivocally to beware the four blood moons pay attention to historical events during the four blood moons and yet scripture doesn't say that okay and ultimately what does this do this takes our eyes off of christ and one of the reasons why these four blood moons teachings or these teachings regarding the upcoming jewish new year why they're taking off if you would has directly to do with the fact that there is a lot there are a lot of people who are being influenced again by um, false teaching that basically doesn't properly distinguish between the Mosaic Covenant and the New Covenant and would put us back under the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant, and observing these feast days. In fact, talking about that, uh, Rabbi Jonathan Kahn of the Harbinger, who, who you know, whom I know, and uh, at, you know, we've interviewed here at Fighting for the Faith, and I think he was poorly treated after the the book The Harbinger came out. Well, he's got a new book out talking about what's called the Shemitahs. And he's making this same mistake where he's putting people back under the Mosaic Covenant and somehow trying to link cycles within uh, the world economy to the uh, you know the uh, the old Mosaic Covenant feature that has to do with what's called the Shemitah, and he recently appeared on Sid Ross' program to discuss his new book. And again, this is another Jewish-ish uh, problem here, false teaching, if you would. Here's uh, Sid Roth to introduce Jonathan Kahn to talk about his new book regarding the Shemitahs. Here we go. Hello, Sid Roth here. Welcome to my world, where it's naturally supernatural. We had the high privilege, before the book, The Harbinger, even came out, of interviewing. We were the first ones in the country. We we had a CD series of The Harbinger uh, by Rabbi Jonathan Kahn, which has gone on to be a New York Times bestseller, over two million of these Books have been distributed. But Jonathan called me the other day and he said, Sid, God has given me a revelation. I call it the mystery of the Shemitah. And it's so big that it affects everything we as a people are personally doing and will affect the rise and fall of the United States of America. Yeah, the word for this is theological sensationalism, but this is not what the Bible teaches. You know, the best-selling book, The Harbinger, which means the warning of judgments, 
They're reappearing again. There's nine of them. But one of the ones that is reappearing is the understanding and the revelation of a biblical term called the Shemitah. Now, Rabbi Jonathan, what is the Shemitah? The Shemitah is an ancient mystery. It goes back over 3,000 years to Moses, Mount Sinai. Yet it is affecting everything from 9-11 to the rise. An ancient mystery? No. Is and fall of the economy to the crashing of the stock market to the rise and fall of nations, everything from World War One, World War Two, what is happening right now, and what will happen. It is the most precise, mind-boggling, biblical mystery, and it's coming true now. Biblical mystery. So he's teaching mysteries based upon this concept of the Shemitah. The Shemitah is not a mystery. Now, when you talked about it in your book, The Harbinger, did you have any idea that this would, would so affect us today in our everyday life? I mean, and how big it is. I knew it, I knew it was happening, I mean, at least in a certain period, but I had no idea that it, it, it didn't just happen then. It's been affected us every single one who's watching right now it's affecting every life it is affecting as if the shemitah has a life of its own uh-huh i thought god was in control of the universe it's the day we were born and the future i had no idea until very recently how big it was it's just it's really mind-blowing okay let's just go start with basics yeah what does the shemitah mean what does the word mean the shemitah l- l- means the release but it can or it could also mean literally it can also mean the fall or the collapse in hebrew it can also mean the shaking Okay, this is called the illegitimate totality transfer. Here's the idea. Yes, Shemitah can mean release. It can mean fall. It can mean collapse. It can mean shaking. The question is, when the word appears in, you know, in any given context, what does it mean in that context? Because it can't mean all of those things. Notice the, yeah, th- this is... This is playing fast and loose with definitions now. And what it, what it is is this. In Mount Sinai, God gave this law to Israel. Every seventh year, you would have a Sabbath year, a year of rest. That rest was called the Shemitah. There was- yes, the year of rest. Uh-huh. No sowing, no reaping of the land. And on the last... It's like a Sabbath in years. ...day of the Shemitah, the, the day is called Elul 29 on the biblical calendar. On that last day, something unique happens. All credit is wiped away. All debt is wiped away. The financial accounts of the nation are wiped clean. Now, this was to be a blessing. But when Israel turned against God, the Shemitah comes back as a sign of judgment on a nation that is driving God out of its life. So this is... Uh, that's... Kind of a wrong way of putting it. Israel sinned by not observing this year of rest, and ultimately it culminates in, in uh, you know the year of jubilee, which you know so the shemitahs kind of build up to the year of jubilee. So um, the problem was is that they, the the Israelites did not take the year off that they were told by God to do so. It was kind of like a year a, a Sabbath for every seven years. It's not that the shemitah came back. It's that they sinned against God and God held them accountable for not observing the Mosaic Covenant commands regarding these years of rest. This is where it affects us particularly today. So the thing is that the Shemitah affects, as you can see, the economy right away. It's, it's, today it would be... Yeah, see, that, this is, see, this is an incorrect application here. My question for Rabbi Khan, and, and if I have him on the program, I, I'll invite him on 
to talk about this is why on earth would we expect that the nations of the world would be beholden to a Mosaic covenant command regarding the Shemitah? Where, where, where is the world, you know, the economies of the world and the, and the nations of the Goyim uh, expected to keep the Mosaic covenant commands regarding Shemitah? Why on earth would you make that application? Is the Shemitah somehow, you know, you know, tied then to the moral law is, you know, is, is, you know, not observing the, the Shemitah uh, tantamount to as a nation committing adultery or something like that. You see, this is, this is a stretch. This is a, a, a bad application. And now that the Mosaic covenant has been, uh, you know, has been made null and void, no one can keep the Mosaic covenant. There's no temple. Okay. Um, now that the covenant has been made void, has been nullified, has been fulfilled in Christ, why on earth should we expect that somehow there's a mystery in the Bible that teaches that nation, national economies are going to have collapses and burps and hiccups and things like this because they don't observe the Shemitah? A recession or a depression. I mean, and the, the, the Wall Street, it literally is the collapse of the of. of of our financial realm. So what we're going to see so is... So we're, we're going to have a collapse that's not a blessing. We're going right. to have the judgment type of collapse. We have already seen it happen, and it's actually... So are then is the only way that we can keep this mystery of the Shemitah from causing another financial collapse in the United States for everybody in the United States to take a year off? I mean, do, do you understand what I'm saying here? That, is that not what the Mosaic Covenant is commanding? Actually getting more specific. The last two Shemitahs have been so exact, so precise since 9-11, and, and we're coming up to another one as well. So what we're going to see, and this is what blew me away, is it, it has been affecting everything in, in our lives from really, there, there's no end to it. It's amazing, and it's precise. It has been affecting everything in our lives. It? Hmm. Um, yeah, um, that's a weird way to talk about a commandment. Yeah, God is the one who's in charge. Now, let's take a look at what the Bible says regarding the Shemitah. These are the years of release, okay? First shows up in Exodus 23, uh, verses 10 and 11. Here's what it says. For six years you shall sow your land and gather in, it, in its yield, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. So, yeah, here's the idea. You know, every on every seventh year you don't work. You know, you don't you don't work your field. You just let it let it go and do its thing, and and that way the poor can gather what they need. Now, Leviticus 25. I'll read verses one through seven and twenty through twenty two regarding the Shemitah. Here's what it says. Yahweh spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you, the land uh, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. The land itself shall. So who is this um, spoken to? Mm-hmm. It's spoken to Israel. So listen, the Lord, Yahweh, spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the people of who? Of Israel, not to the people of the world. It says, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you. Who's this Who's this addressed to? Not to us. It's not addressed to Americans. Okay? And uh, when you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. Which land would that be? This would be the land of, of Israel, right? 
For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath, a solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you for your, yourself and for your male and your female slaves and for your hired worker and the sojourners who live with you and for your cattle and for the wild animals that are in your land. All its yield shall be for food. And verse 20, and if you say, well, what shall we eat in the seventh year if we may not sow or gather in our crop? I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. When you sow in the eighth year, you will be eating some of the old crop. You shall eat the old until the ninth year when its crop arrives. So God promised that along with this uh, Sabbath rest for the land of Israel, okay, that he would provide them you know, in the sixth year, you know, enough food for three years so that, you know, they would get through and they wouldn't even be done eating what they'd harvested in the sixth year by the time the harvest comes in the, you know, for the, the eighth year. That's what God promised. Deuteronomy 15 uh, verses one through six also talks about this year of the Shemitah. He says this, at the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release. There's the word in Hebrew, by the way, Shemitah. And this is the manner of the Shemitah. Uh, every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. Okay, He shall not exact it of his neighbor, his brother, because the Lord's release, Shemitah, has been proclaimed. Of a foreigner you may exact it, but whatever of yours is with your brother, your hand shall release. But there will be no poor among you, for the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance to possess, if only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all of this commandment that I command you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he promised you, and he shall lend... And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And you shall rule over many nations, but they shall not rule over you. Who is this addressed to? Not the United States of America, not to Great Britain, not to the Western nations. This was addressed to ancient Israel and was in effect during the time of the Mosaic Covenant, which has now been done away with. It's been fulfilled in Christ. It's it's passed away. Deuteronomy 31.10, Moses commanded them, At the end of the seven years, at the set time in the year of release, that's the Shemitah, at the Feast of Booths, when all of Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose— and yeah, that would be in Jerusalem. You shall lead. You shall read this law before all of Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, the women, the little ones, the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to do all the words of this law, and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. Going over the Jordan to possess. That would be to Israel. Now in Jeremiah... Uh, as part of the punishment um, of Israel for her idolatries when God exacted the cursing clauses of the Mosaic Covenant against Israel for their idolatry and rebellion against him, we also learn that part of this has to do with the fact that Israel did not observe the Shemitah, the year of release. Here's what it says, Jeremiah 34, 13, Thus says the Lord, is uh, the God of Israel, I myself made a covenant with your fathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. Who did he make the covenant with? 
the, well, the, the, the Jews when they came out of the land of Egypt, uh-huh, out of the house of slavery. At the end of seven years, each of you must set free the fellow Hebrew who has been sold to you and has served you six years. You must set him free from your service. But your fathers did not listen to me or incline their ears to me. Yeah, Israel didn't keep the Shemitah, the commandment regarding the year of release part of the reason why they went into Babylon, and it had something to do with how long they were in exile, if you know your book of Jeremiah. So here's the question I have, again, kind of coming to this. Why on earth should I believe that the United States' economy is somehow connected to the Shemitah? There's no reason to believe this at all, because God has not commanded the United States of America to observe the Shemitah. That was the ancient people of Israel as part of the Mosaic Covenant, and Christ has fulfilled that, and we Christians are not under the Mosaic Covenant, we're under the New Covenant. So, yeah, uh, Rabbi Khan here is gravely mistaken, and he's pulling people's eyes off of Christ and trying to basically say, look it, I've cracked a code, I've solved a mystery, this is the mystery of the Shemitah. The Bible doesn't teach the mystery of the Shemitah, and our economy is not tied to the Shemitah. The United States is not under the Mosaic Covenant. Down to the days, the hours, even the seconds. Okay, give us some background. Like it's, uh, they explain they every seven years. Yeah, and, and they... yeah, yeah. Every seventh year, so you have this rest. And, and here, here's the keys to know because we're gonna we're gonna see what's happening right now. The keys are number one, you have the the seven year cycle. So the seven year cycle, everything stops, and then you have this financial wipeout. Okay, okay. According to the Bible, every seventh year, yes, we we have uh, just actually no. The Bible didn't teach a financial wipeout. No, it didn't. It taught that, you know, if somebody owed you a debt, you had to release them. Hebrew slaves would be released on the year of the Shemitah. It wasn't a financial wipeout. And God promised abundance, you know, so that, you know, there would be no poor among them. This was this was not a financial wipeout. It's a blessing from God. Or if we haven't done what God's asked, it becomes a judgment. It became a judgment. Actually, okay. in 586 B.C., wiped out Jerusalem. They were in Babylon for 70 years, and the Bible says it was because it was timed according to how many Shemitahs they broke. Yeah, this is true. But who broke it? Israel. The United States is not commanded by God to keep the Shemitah. So it becomes this amazing thing. It not only wipes away accounts, it can wipe away cities and nations. Yeah, you know, if it can wipe away it, it, the, like the Shemitah has a life of its own. Someone is a non-believer in the Bible is being from God. Just looking at these patterns that are affecting us today, that if it affects... Yeah, they're, they're, they're just as compelling patterns as the four blood moon patterns. Us ...historically, a nation's being rising and falling, economies rising and falling. I mean, it's, it's just... Uh, how could anyone not be a believer in the Bible? Yeah. Yeah, see, again, um, I do believe the Bible. I believe that it is the inspired, inerrant Word of God, and I believe what it says regarding the fact that the Mosaic Covenant has been done away with. It is, you know, we're not under the Mosaic Covenant. And the United States of America did not uh, cut a deal with God in the, uh, in, in, you know, the desert of Sinai, you know, or on Mount Sinai or at Mount Horeb. That was the people of Israel. Pay attention to who God was talking to, it makes it very clear that the, this command regarding the year of release was not commanded <laughs> of the United States of America. And it's not some kind of universal command that's binding on all of humanity. 
Now, also picking up on these on these false teachings, these Hebrew-ish false doctrines, would be Larry Huck, who we featured last week here at Fighting for the Faith. Well, we went to his uh, church's website, dfwnewbeginnings.org, and uh, listen to this teaching. Again, Hebrew-ish sounding false doctrine, basically preying on people that don't know their Bible and don't understand the difference between the Mosaic Covenant and the New Covenant. Here we go. A week from this coming Wednesday, Wednesday night, you know, on the Hebrew calendar, the next day doesn't start at midnight, it starts at sundown. So Wednesday night at sundown, our Thursday, September 25th, begins Shemitah. Now, Shemitah. we have, you saw, we have a Rosh Hashanah service a week from this Friday. Uh, what? And I was just meeting with some of the guys upstairs, and I was thinking, man, this is so important to teach. This is so important to teach that I was thinking about after the service next week of doing a special teaching. And then Pastor Scott said, well, we've got, we've got the Friday night Rosh Hashanah. Now, listen to me very carefully. Let me let, listen to what I'm saying. I'm going to teach this in full a week from this Friday on Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah means the head of a new year. Your new year begins a week from this Friday. What? Your, uh, uh, when, when did Christians start keeping the Hebrew calendar? Not on January, but on God's calendar. Oh, God's calendar. Your spiritual and financial new year begins... A week from this Friday. Now that happens every year that God opens the book and he looks and he determines the blessing for all next year. What? Where are you getting that? Where in the Bible does it say God opens up the books on Rosh Hashanah and determines your blessings for the next year? What? Now I know that's a lot for a lot of people to understand, but you No, it. I understood it quite easily. And it's not a, a biblical teaching. God understand. In God's word, there are moedims. There are appointed times. Every year on Rosh Hashanah, God opens the book of blessing. And he determines the blessing for next year. Uh, really? Uh-huh. Yeah, remember what I read in the book of Galatians at the uh, beginning of the program? That, you know, Paul was perplexed. Why? Because... The people in uh, in uh, Galatia, they were returning back to these uh, these elemental you know elementary principles of the world. You know they were observing days and weeks and you know things like and seasons and stuff like that, talking about the seasons of the Mosaic Covenant. And he was perplexed for them, fearing that they you know they weren't even Christians anymore. Rosh Hashanah is the beginning of the new year. The 29th of Elul is the end of the year. A year from this Friday, next Friday, will be the end of El, uh, the end of Shemitah. It will be the Shemitah. 29th of Elul. Now say, Pastor, why does that matter? On 2011... 2000, excuse me, on 2001, 9-11, 
the airplanes flew into the Trade Tower and the Pentagon. One week later, one week later, on September 17th, the world caught up with what happened and the economy of the world collapsed. So post hoc ergo propter hoc after this because of this that's the, it's a logical fallacy and it collapsed in one moment on september 17th it collapsed seven percent of the world economy boom on september 17th it was the 29th of elul the end of shmita shmita so what so what Show me the command that says that the Americans are supposed to observe the year of release, the Shemitah. And if you were teaching this properly, as if we're all bound by it, then you better start letting people know that, hey, if, if anybody owes you any money, uh-huh, you, well, you know, coming up with the year of, uh, with the Shemitah, you've got to release their debts. You've got to do it on that day. Seven years later... On 2008, on the 29th of Elul, exactly the end of Shemitah, Shemitah, the economy of the world collapsed 7%. It collapsed 777 points. From this next, a week from this Friday, from a week from Thursday, we're going to celebrate Wednesday. I promise you, and I'm going to teach this on Friday. Your world economically is going to change. Your world is going to change. I need a better amen than that. Uh, really? Why is their economic world going to change uh, on the 29th of Elul? What? Listen to me. What I'm going to teach you on Rosh Hashanah about Shemitah, because it happens every time. It happens every time. Every time, lift up your hands, put your hands up. God says, I have given you power in your hands to gain wealth. Yes. Say this out loud. Um, so every seven years, God's going to give us power to have wealth because of the Shemitah? Really? You're not even teaching the Shemitah biblically. In my hands, in my hand. I, have power I have power to gain wealth. To gain wealth. Now, put them down. Listen to me. Listen to me. I'm going to show you on this service. You cannot. I'm going to teach you things on Friday. Not this Friday, the next Friday. I'm going to teach you things that the White House doesn't know. That the Pentagon doesn't know. <laughs> Whew. He's going to teach us things that the White House doesn't know. Really? Wow. No. That world leaders don't know. Because it's the truth that you know that will set you free. Now, I don't know when Jesus is coming back. And nobody knows. But we do know the season. We do know the birth pangs. But I do know this. That what will launch the coming of the Messiah will, will, will then launch the Antichrist. And when the Antichrist comes, what's going what's gonna to trigger that is... How do you go from a false teaching regarding the Shemitah to now we, you know, we're, we're, you know, the Antichrist is going to get launched onto the world? 
I mean, seriously. I mean, this kind of gives you an idea. Again, Hebrew-ish sounding, okay? And the reason why these people are falling for this, because they don't know their Bible. They, it's like they don't understand Christianity 101 regarding the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. It's like they don't understand what Galatians says or what the book of Hebrews teaches or even Acts 15, what it teaches. I mean, And so as a result of it, you have hucksters like Larry Huck coming around and teaching all kinds of nonsense. Well, talking about um, you know, nonsense, I'm going to play a little bit more of uh, the type of nonsense that we expect to, well, we're hearing from Rod Parsley and Larry Huck. And Rod Parsley on his breakthrough program, no joke, um, he connects uh, the Day of Atonement and Four Blood Moons together in, in a way that is just profoundly absurd, frightening, heretical, and blasphemous all at the same time. I mean, it's quite the feat. And uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and head back to uh, Rod Parsley's program and listen to what he teaches regarding the Day of Atonement and how we're supposed to observe this Day of Atonement and, uh, and then how it's connected to the four blood moons. Here we go. Your breakthrough. What a time we are having entering one of the most exciting, biblically prophetic seasons and times of your entire year. And I do mean for you. And that really does matter. It matters because God is a God of season, a God of cycle, God of timing. Mm, God's a God of season, cycles, and timing. Oh, okay. So that's kind of how the setup goes. To avoid the thorny issue of, yeah, this these season cycles and timing are all timed to the Mosaic Covenant, and we're not under the Mosaic Covenant. Um, he just says, oh, God is a God of seasons, cycles, and timing, you know? So this is all about being in rhythm with God's season cycles and timing, you know? And when God designates a very specific time, an appointed time, as being important to him, <laughs> I suggest to you that it becomes important to you and I as well. Yeah, you don't you don't want to get on the wrong side of God's you know to do list and and the important things on it, you know. And that's why I really am excited. Now I know what you're saying, Pastor Rod. You are always excited. Well, I am. Jesus is on the throne. The devil is conquered and controlled, and the kingdom of God has come. The kingdoms of this world they have become the kingdoms of our God and of His Christ. And I am thrilled because we are in a very, very specific season, one that will not occur again in your lifetime. And I'm speaking, of course of the upcoming Day of Atonement, October the 4th. Yeah, Day of Atonement. Um, yeah, wasn't the Day of Atonement the day Jesus hung on the cross and died for our sins? God's holiest day of the entire year to be commemorated, listen, forever and forever by all of his people. Forever, my dear friend, means forever, even in the 21st century. Yeah, no, and in the context of the, when the Day of Atonement was given, it's to be observed as long as the Mosaic Covenant is in effect. That's the idea behind the word, the Hebrew word olam used regarding the Day of Atonement. And uh, the Day of Atonement points us typologically to Christ's death on the cross. That's what it's all about. 
And uh, Christ is the one who fulfilled it. So the Day of Atonement is typology. The reality, the fulfillment is what Jesus did on the cross. Uh, possibly even more so in the 21st century as we see everything apocalyptic, if you will, going on around us every day. We know that something is changing. There's a stirring. There's a, a rumbling in the mulberry bushes, and we're excited about it. It was the one time of the year when the high priest would offer entering into the Holy of Holies to cover the sins of the people. Now, Jesus, of course, has become our sacrificial lamb to atone for our sins. And there is absolutely nothing we can ever do to earn that atonement. But, but, yeah, the but kind of eliminates what you were just saying. We are commanded, not suggested, we are commanded to honor that atonement and to celebrate it with all of our hearts according to God's directives. And that's... Oh, really? Uh, What day would that be are we commanded to celebrate it? Why? God has spoken very plainly in my spirit to conduct our first ever... God has spoken plainly in your spirit to conduct your first ever what? Day of Atonement celebration prayer service. Mm, Your first ever. Hmm. Don't you think if Christians were supposed to be celebrating the Jewish Day of Atonement, that we that this wouldn't be your very first ever Day of Atonement celebration service that you're holding at your church? That Christians would have been celebrating it like from the beginning, from dirt near the time of the apostles? Weird that uh, Christians haven't been celebrating it all the way, going all the way back to the time of the apostles. It's weird that this is your first ever and God told you in your spirit to celebrate it. Hmm. At the foot of that great Calvary memorial, a hundred feet in the air seen for 10 miles around to memorialize the Day of Atonement on Saturday, October the 4th at 7 in the evening, Joni and I will be joining our faith with multiplied tens of thousands live around the world rodparsley.com you can get connected as we release our faith for the seven anointing anointings of the atonement including hear me a double portion blessing to be released yes you're gonna have a double portion a blessing released to people who come and celebrate the day of atonement with you wow it's so great that god gave you that to release to people notice again hebrew-ish sounding heresies into your life. Get ready for it. Prepare for it. Make your preparations. Get stirred up in your heart. And I want to include you in that great, great service. Well, how how can that happen, Pastor Rod? All you need to do is pick up that cell phone. Come on, you've been on it a hundred times already today. Pick up that cell phone, dial that toll-free number right there on your screen, or go online. So we can ask for money from you. Rodparsley.com. Send me your prayer request, and I want to include them. The breakthrough that you're believing for in that great prayer service. Now, I want to get into a little bit of the meat, the depth, the power, the prophetic significance of the Day of Atonement. And you say, well, Pastor Rod, go ahead and teach us. No, 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 no. 
I'm going to sit back with you today and I'm going to learn from a man that God has placed such revelation in that everybody in the body of Christ should hear it. And that's why I'm so glad to welcome him back to breakthrough. I don't have a greater gift to give him than to allow him the opportunity to pour into your life. He's Pastor Larry Huck, and he's joining me to help us comprehend the vast importance of the Day of Atonement. Pastors, DFW, New Beginnings Church in Irving, Texas, and his program, Jewish Roots, seen around the world. Now, if you're ever in Irving, let me tell you, in fact, you ought to make an appointment and go. Call them and let them know you're coming so you can get a seat. And get there early at that great, great church. I'm absolutely delighted to have you back with me on Breakthrough today. Thank you so very much. Thank you for having me. I love being with you. Your family's doing well. They're all doing good. They all said hi. You know, Tiz loves to come up. Too many grandchildren now. You know, you did way better than, you know, God. We we can see the favor. You know, both of us married up. Hey, look, I couldn't even see the bottom from where I was looking from. And we were blessed with wonderful wives, wonderful families. And God is blessing everything you set your hand to. I want you, and I'm going to get out of your way. And we're going to see that there is an anointing here today because I'm going to be able to do that. I want you just to open up that revelation that God's given you. Regarding the Day of Atonement. For the well, you know, the revelation, direct revelation, apparently God gave Larry Huck. You know, I, I love the way you said it. And I think so many, so many times, Pastor, we hear it, but we've heard it so often it slips past sure us. It does. When you said there's an appointed time, yeah. is there not, God says, is there not an appointed time? Now, the Hebrew word appointed time is the word moedim. Mm. And in Hebrew, it says that this is the time, these appointed times, that the king gets off the throne and comes to you in the field. Now, this is a a, a phenomenal, phenomenal illustration of God is God 24-7. You haven't actually read, read a biblical passage yet, have you? You just gave us the Hebrew word Moedim and told a little story around it. You know that every day of every week. But what does the Bible mean when it says, call on the Lord while he is near? Okay, mm. there are these... Op- yeah, I, that's from Isaiah 55, verse 6. That has nothing to do with the Day of Atonement or God getting off the throne or whatever. This has nothing to do with the Moedim. Isaiah 55, 6 is not in that context. Point in times, there are these Moedims Mm -hmm. that God is closer to us, that he comes off the throne and he comes to you in your home. Really, there's times when God's closer, times when Jesus gets off the throne. Really? Really? Where does it say that God gets off the throne and comes and draws closer to us during the Moedim? comes to you and your job, he comes to you and your business, and he says, what do you want me to do for you? Uh, Really, where does the Bible say that? Now, let me say it again. Every day of every week, God is there. But on these Moedims, you know, pastor, every every pastor, every Christian's heard Malachi. Mm -hmm. Return unto me, teshuvah. The word in Hebrew is teshuvah. Return unto me, and I will return unto you. And they said, and how do we return? And God says, in tithes. Uh, Here we go. It's all about the money with these guys, isn't it? But Hebrew-ish con artists, uh, pickpocketing, unsuspecting people who don't know their Bible. Then he says, in offerings. Well, that word offering is three times a year during Passover, 
during uh, uh, Pentecost, yeah. or Shavuot, Shavuot. Uh, Shavuot, Feast of Tabernacles, three times a year, we are to come before the Lord and not come empty-handed. Yeah, so three times a year, Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles, you got to come before the Lord and not empty-handed. Weird. How do you come before the Lord? Because the commandments regarding coming before the Lord are in the place that he says to come to, and ultimately turned into the temple in Jerusalem, and it's gone. How do we, quote-unquote, appear before the Lord according to the Mosaic Covenant commands to do so? Now, God says, my people destroy for what reason? Lack of knowledge. Lack of knowledge. And so for all these years, we've been trying to get the windows of heaven opened up over us. But these windows only open up during these three times of the year. Oh, so yeah, the windows of heaven only only up open three times a year. And as soon as they open up, you got to throw money into them first. And then as soon as God sees the money, then he starts shoveling blessings out of the windows. It don't stay open. My God. They're not windows that, that are open over us. And when we finally yeah. obey God, he pours out a blessing. No. These windows. Finally obey God means give, him, give money to the televangelist. Pass by every year, Think three this. times a year. This. But this year... This window, during Rosh Hashanah, during Yom Kippur, during the Day of Atonement, this time, this window, this year, will never pass this way again, mm. ever mm. in life. Really? Why is that? What's so special about this particular window that's coming? Lifetime. Because this time during Yom Kippur, we're in the middle of four blood moons. Yeah. <sighs> really? This time during Yom Kippur, we're in Shemitah, which is Shemitah. is the time in which God determines the financial blessing. And at the end wow. of this one, Pastor, we go into Jubilee. So I want you to people to understand where we are. For oh, you better act now. I mean, this, this is a unique window. I mean, this window, I mean, seriously, as soon as you send money to, to Huck and Parsley, whoo. During this season, you know, because the four blood moon and the Shemitah is happening during the Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, trilateral confecta. That, you know, if you, if you, you got to act now, if you, oh man, because this is the time when God's going to determine your blessings for the next year. <gasps> the next year. Uh. Now, what happens on Rosh Hashanah? You know, the Bible says that these things are a shadow of things to come. Yeah. That the high holidays are a rehearsal. Passover was a rehearsal until Jesus came. Right. The rehearsal's over. He became our Passover lamb. Feast of Pentecost Pentecost was a rehearsal until the day of Pentecost had fully come. Think of that. So these two have already taken place. Yeah. But on Rosh Hashanah and then Yom Kippur Mm. and then the Feast of Tabernacles, Mm. this hasn't taken place. Mm. So on Rosh Hashanah... What? Which we're going into... God open when we bring when we begin to prepare that offering. Right. Uh, yeah, the prepare the offering. That means write the check and sign it. You know, Rod Parsley Ministries. God opens the book. My. Now, what book is he talking about? When Moses said, "Lord, remove my name from your book." If yeah, you're going to remove you, their name, remove, remove my yeah. name. 
What book's he talking about? A lot of people say, well, it's the Lamb's Book of Life. But the Lamb hasn't come yet. Right. Every year. Oh, man. Here, during this time, hmm. during this time that God wants to open that window and pour us out such a blessing that there won't be room Whoa. enough to receive it, he opens up your book, my book, your book, oh. and he looks at your account. Uh, oh, really? Where does it say this in the Bible again? He opens up my book and looks at, looks at my account. My goodness. He looks at it for the rest of the year. Now, on Yom Kippur, so he, he opens it on Rosh Hashanah. Right. He, he looks at it and he gives us, this is why they blow the shofar. They blow the shofar for 40 days, yeah. and then in the last day, they blow it 100 times 100 because times. The, he's sounding the alarm. This is where blow the trumpet in Zion, yeah, Zion, yeah. sound the alarm. Oh. He's trying to wake us up oh. so we don't miss yeah. this blessing. Yeah, so quick, write the check so you don't miss it. So, uh, so for 30 days to Rosh Hashanah, they're blowing the shofar, blowing the shofar, blowing the shofar. People that would hear it, or to go to somebody else and say, I heard the shofar blowing. Wow. And they would get excited because they're getting their offering ready because God mm. is about to prepare the blessing that they're going to live in for the, one whole year. The rest of the year. The rest of the year. It's determined this, during this time. This is a one-time seed that produces a year harvest. This is a one-time seed. <sighs> These guys are going to have to explain this false teaching to Jesus face to face. Man, I, I I would like to actually be there on the day they have to explain this to Jesus. That produces, but listen to this, a year harvest, but this one is during the eighth of the four blood moons. It is. This one is during Shemitah. Yes. And at the end of Shemitah next year on Yom Kippur yes. begins Jubilee. And what the rabbis are saying is the Gentiles who have eyes to see right. and ears to hear. Who are hearing what you're sharing with us right now. The blessing will not be sealed for one year, but it will be sealed till the coming of the Messiah. Ah. And literally. <laughs> so God's going to, you know, hey, act now. Write this check. Because, I mean, the stars are aligning and there's this uh, Hebrew trifecta going on. And, whoa, you know, because he used the word Shemitah and Sabaoth. I mean, it's got to be biblical, right? I mean, and listen, God's promising he's going to open up and he's not going to just give a, you know, a blessing for the next year. It's going to be a blessing that lasts until Jesus returns. Man, it's absolutely frightening. Number one, that anyone would believe this blasphemous nonsense. But I'm frightened for these men. Frightened. They are going to cower in terror before the Christ, the righteous judge, when they have to explain all of this nonsense to him. The Gentiles who hear this will grow and grow and grow financially, my, my, and my. they will become God's bankers. Amen. Now, Amen. We, we know that in the end times, there's going to be an outpouring of God's spirit. Sure. But there's also, Pastor, going to be an end time transfer of wealth. Oh, absolutely. And so this is it. Yeah. This will never come around again. The four blood moons, number eight, yeah. which means living above the natural and the supernatural. Yes. Dur this is during uh, um, Shemitah. Yes. Shemitah. Shemitah. will end next year on Yom Kippur. Yes. On, on Jubilee, and so 
normally on Yom Kippur, God seals the book mm-hmm. for one whole year. This offering determines the blessing for a year. But this time, it will seal the blessing. We're going to go through the valley to the mountaintop, and we will be growing glory to glory to glory spiritually. So you want to get rich? You just all you got to do. God's promising to make turn you into so you make you so wealthy that you're going to be one of the world's bankers. And all you got to do is send a check to Rod Parsley's ministry during this Hebrew trifecta period. And financially, this this time, this time will never, never ever come again. come again. This is the most important time in the history of the church. I, I'm just, I'm just... Yeah, most important time in the history of the church. Wow. Unbelievable. I want to shout. I want to get up and run around this. I'm sure you do because you can just see the payday coming, can't you, Rod? High Def Studios a breakthrough. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for for digging out this kind of revelation. Uh, huh. I listen to what has been shared with us already. Now get this down. A portal, a portal. This is a window, but 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 truly described as a portal. Yeah. Uh huh. And which biblical text was he showing us the portal from? He wasn't. This isn't found in the Bible. A portal opens for a season on its own. You can't do anything to get it open. God said when it's going to open. It is open and then it closes. Then it closes. It opens a season. Right. And then it closes. And if we miss that season, it takes a whole nother year yeah. for it to come around. But if we miss this one... it listen, This one's supposed to do us from now to Jesus comes. NASA. Science says... <laughs> NASA. NASA knows this is true. I mean, the, all the NASA rocket scientists, they're sending their check to Rod Parsley right now. They can look a 100 years in the future and never see these four blood moons come no. this way. It'll never come four blood moons, number eight, Schmitta, and Jubilee. And so th- normally, and, and we teach this all the time, mm. that if you miss it, mm. that window is closed until this time next year. Right. But this window mm. will not only stay open, mm. but it will stay open, Pastor, till the coming of mm. the Messiah. During this time, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, the Feast of Tabernacles, when they would go into the Holy of Holies, the mm. high priest would go in the Holy of Holies, he would take the blood of the Lamb and yeah. he would sprinkle it. He would bring in, you know, when, when mm. Jesus said to Peter, who do men say that I am? Yeah. Peter said, you're the Christ. Right. The word Christ means the anointed one yeah. who would remove the burden yeah. and break, break the, the yoke. yoke. When you look at Leviticus 16 mm-hmm. and it talks about Yom Kippur, yeah. they would bring the lamb or the goats to the, to the sacrifice, but they didn't bring one. They brought two. Mm. And the high priest would go out and he would pick amongst those sacrifices. He'd bring one in. He'd lay it on the table. And he would kill that goat, and the blood of that goat or the blood of that lamb would atone for the sins. The sins are forgiven, but the blessing isn't released yet. 
So well, what's he, would, he do with that other one? So he would take the blood yeah. of that lamb. Our, our sins are, and this is where most Christians are. Our sins are forgiven, right. but where's the blessing? He would take the blood, go into the Holy of Holies, and sprinkle the blood seven times. Mm. Jesus shed his blood seven different times in the garden, at the whipping post, crown of thorns in his hands, in his feet, in his side. He stumped on the devil's forehead, uh. took the keys of life and death. Uh, During this time, uh, God not only opens the windows of heaven, but he says, who do you say that I am? And he said, we're the Christ. And he says, now I give you the keys. During this time, we go from being cursed into being in full authority through the blood of Jesus Christ. uh, Boy, he tells quite a story, doesn't he? None of it is actually what the Bible teaches at all. He would take that blood, sprinkle it seven times, and that would be be prepared pastor to release the power but then he'd go to the blood he'd take it again he'd go to the door of Uh the temple and he would speak the curses on the people now the sins are forgiven the blessing is ready to be released but the curse has Has to to be be broken broken. and so he would confess the curse Mm. on this goat and send it to a desert place that's why jesus said and Ah. he's talking about this he's talking about this moment right now he said you cast the devil out it goes jesus was talking about this moment right now really to a dry place but then it comes back why because we don't understand that on yom kippur when we come before the lord and we bring the offering and we prepare that God wants to not just forgive us of our sin, yeah. but he wants to break the curse so the blessing on our offering can be released in every area of our lives. This is, this is so blasphemous. It's utterly blasphemous. That there is no limit. And this year, uh, God will open that book. Uh, and when he looks at our account and God. he seals it, my it's God. not going to be sealed for one year. It's going to be sealed forever oh. and ever and ever. Oh. There's going to be debt cancellation. Yes. There's yes. going to be bonuses and yes. raises and yes. jobs yes. and witty inventions. This begins, this offering this year begins without a shadow of a doubt, mm. the end time transfer of wealth. I believe Utterly blasphemous. But Jesus said there are people who have eyes, but they don't see. They don't see it. They have ears, but they, they don't, don't hear. hear. And that would be you, Larry. You have eyes and you do not see. You have ears and you do not hear. And you're going to have to give an accounting to Jesus for all of this blasphemy and making merchandise of God's people and praying on them in the name of God. This is what it means to take God's name in vain. But blessed are you who have eyes to see. Mm. When you see these things begin to happen, he says, look up. And lift up your head. Mm. Now, in Hebrew, whenever you see something repeated twice, there's a secret there. Why does he say, look up and lift up your head? When you look up and you see the sign, you're automatically lifting up your head. But the word lift up your head is begin to rejoice. Ah. Because the blessing that you're about to move into has never been seen before in the history of the church. Ah, And that's what he was referring to, the the Shemitah trifecta with the... Yom Kippur Rosh Hashanah thing in the number eight. Yeah, when he was going to, you know, make it so that you can become one of God's bankers and God's going to send you bonus checks at your work and and just, just make you filthy rich, right? Yeah, that's what Jesus was referring to. What an opportunity for all of us, those four blood moons, 
Your seven-year cycle of decline has ended. I'm prophesying to you right now. You're- no, you're actually blaspheming God, and you're teaching falsely. You're condemning people if they actually believe you. Seven-year slide of decrease is over. This is your moment. This is your eight. This is the eight symbolizes. I'm I'm looking over here to one of uh, my wonderful assistants and worship leaders, Miss Lisa Brunson. She's about to have a baby, and the whole time you've been talking, I've been thinking about that. Yeah. Because the number eight is symbolic not only of a new beginning, but of the season for the maximum fertility of sowing the seed. Now, she and her husband could have had relations many times, and there was no conception. But at a certain point, and it's really only a... So you want your seed to be sown during a time when it can maximally conceive. Oh, man. About a 24-hour period in a woman where she is in maximum fertility to receive that seed for conception. That's where you are right now. In a season of maximum fertility for the sowing of your seed. Uh-huh. Yeah, so apparently now your um, money is like sperm. And to sow it in this season, it has a window open that you've heard Pastor Larry Huck. So yeah, God's ovulating right now, you know brilliantly described to you is going to keep that thing open for you because this moment has never been presented to you before and never will again. That's why it's so important to get a seed in each hand, that double portion anointing. Yeah, not just one check. You got to write two. That those two lambs, one where the blood is applied and your sins are forgiven, but the other where those curses are broken off of your life. Aren't you tired of the cycle of sickness? Oh, yeah. So this this will solve that. Yeah, just write two checks to Rod Parsley. Not one. Aren't you weary with the cycle of the, you get free and then you're bound again, then you get free and then you're bound again. Look, this is a moment where that curse can be broken forever. Let me suggest to you, very strongly, let me suggest to you, with with no timidity. Actually, no shame. Um, Yeah, your conscience has been seared. Clearly, you have no guilt pangs for this nonsense that you're saying. Look, if if I thought I was, you know, the kingdom of God was taking something from you right now, (laughs) that'd be a different story. We're not asking right now that you give a gift. Look, we don't give out of necessity. We give joyfully. Why? Because we know our gift is a seed. Dr. Oral Roberts put his hand on my knee and said three or four days before he went to heaven, Rod, you're a carrier of the seed faith message. Uh, You're a carrier of the heresy of the word of faith. Always tell people to sow a seed, never to give a gift. That their seed releases something into their life that could not otherwise be released. Look, I want to share with you, suggest to you, put a seed in each hand. Yeah, two seeds, right? Two checks. One that represents a praise that your sins are forgiven. The other that represents the curse is broken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, two different checks. 
a seat of fifty dollars in each hand right now. Ah, seat of a so basically a hundred bucks. He wants you to write two checks, one, uh, each of them for fifty dollars, and then you can get in on the fact that God's blessing is ovulating right now, and you got two seeds and you know two shots here for you know for you to conceive maximum blessing. I think you you've had enough. I I've had enough. I I'm sick. I mean, this is so utterly blasphemous. And God's word teaches none of this. None of this. This man is praying on people in the name of God. Larry Huck is praying on people in the name of the one true God. These are men whose job is to preach the word instead they've they're making merchandise of people and teaching nonsense teaching you to act now cuz you'll never have this opportunity again the portal's about to close man you know you got to get on it it's terrible and if you understand the book of galatians you understand the book of hebrews understand acts 15 you understand we are not under the mosaic covenant all of these false doctrines are basically due to the fact that people do not understand the difference between the Mosaic Covenant and the New Covenant. It's in the Bible, they say, hey, yeah, but pay attention, which covenant are we talking about? It's imperative that you get which get them right, so you understand what it is that God has commanded us to do, and to believe, and to teach, and to confess. And what Huck taught, yeah, it's a loose, it's you know, a slippery version of the Mosaic Covenant that doesn't pay attention to the, any of the details. And yet when you pay attention to the details of what's going on in the Mosaic Covenant, even what he said isn't what the Mosaic Covenant teaches and taught. God does, it's not, there's some portal and the books are open and it, it lasts, you know, God's going to determine your blessings for a year. So God's going to determine your blessings. You've got to send two checks, 50 apiece to uh, Rod Parsley so you can get on the uh, you get on the four blood moon Rosh Hashanah Shemitah trifecta you know wow and what gets lost in all of this is the preaching of the gospel people are not hearing that Christ bled and died for their sins at least not properly they're not being called to repent and to trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins this is utter blasphemy heresy that takes our eyes off of Jesus and makes merchandise of people at the same time this is not what God's word teaches. These men are going to have to give an accounting to God someday if they don't repent. What did you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>